to viewers and listeners. I'm here today with Stacy Greason, who uh, you may recognize from TV, maybe, maybe not, but she's an author who's new to me. And we're going to be talking about her book, which is called All the Girls in Town. So raise your hand if you recognize the source of the title. I'll tell you during the show. Welcome, Stacy, and please tell us about your fabulous workspace. Let's start with that. Okay, great. Hi, Eileen. Thank you so much for having me on. If I sound echoey, it's because I'm in my new writer's she shed. Yay. I'm going sh to show it off. Well, there's my book. Yeah, the shelves are not really full. I have so many books, it's going to be crazy. Um, but I have a little uh, a microwave in here. A microwave. Um, I won't open it. Microwave, refrigerator. We just renovated it. It's completely empty right now. Um, but dream I have a fan all writers dream. I have on. a fantastic view of our pool. I don't know if you can oh, see it. Double dream. Um, our little saltwater pool. So um, I got married just five years ago uh, for the first time in my life. And uh, my husband, I lived up in Altadena above Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Mountains. And my husband uh, lived down in Seal Beach uh, with his two almost grown kids. One one was still in high school and one was in junior college. And um, if you know LA, you know that to live in LA is to live in traffic your whole life. So we were driving between Altadena and Seal Beach. Uh, round trip on uh, one way on a Friday night was like three hours, even though it's oh. about 46 miles. And your relationship survived this. Yeah. So after a year, uh, and we had both started, we had both started dating with the agreement that neither of us wanted to be married. He didn't want to be married again. And I, I never wanted to be married like in my whole life. I didn't care about that at all. Um, and then about four months in, I was like, I think I want to be married to you. <laughs> Uh, so we renegotiated and he was like, okay, I think I could be married to you too. So we drove for about a year. And then after a year, I said, I got to move in with you. So since his daughter Samara was still in high school, I moved down to this tiny, cute little town um, on the LA Orange County border called Seal Beach into the big, beautiful home he had built with his last wife. So when the kids graduated, this is my very, now, you know, I'm a novelist because I can't tell a short story. <laughs> when the kids, when the kids, when Samara graduated and went away to college and Cameron went away to college, uh, the son, we downsized and bought this cute little mid-century modern home we live in now and um, not in Seal Beach in, in LA. And, uh, and it had a guest house, which was perfect because he also has an older son, daughter-in-law. We have grandkids now. And um, unfortunately, my stepson, Cameron, graduated from college due to COVID in the guest house. But he got a great job and moved to D.C. And then I got the guest house, which I said, now my she shed. So it, renovations just finished. I've literally just moved the girls and me in. And you're my first interview. So yeah, oh, I have a, because so a woman honest. really must have a room of her own. It's really hard to write with other people as, you know, well, I'm going out for lunch. Oh, did you hear this on the news? What do you, you know, and I would say, you know, when my door is closed, I am dead to you. I am literally dead to you. And they did not understand dead to you. They didn't understand it. And they're such wonderful people, but I, and the dog. The dog barks all the time. You'll oh, probably hear the dog. That's like having, I know, that's like having another kid. I expect mine to come thundering down the stairs here any minute. Yes. So um, your book, so this was your first book that you've written, but you have done writing and you were an actress um, on a soap opera. So um, how did you evolve to writing? 
Well, this is actually my fourth novel, but oh. my first traditionally published novel. At the advice of an agent about 11 years ago, I self-published a novel called The Last Great American Housewife, and that was not, it, it, you know, it just didn't sell. But back then I didn't, you know, have the money or know a lot about marketing. Um, it was optioned for a film that wasn't made. Um, but I did end up writing the screenplay and the screenplay has won quite a few film festivals and gotten some film fellowships. And uh, the screenplay is called Treed about a housewife who lives in a tree to keep it from being <laughs> torn down by a development company. But it's really a novel about marriage, um, even though I'd never been married. Um, and so, uh, but I, I was always a writer, even when I was a kid. I, I wanted to be a librarian when I grew up. And I was, I still have my little badge, Stacy Library Helper from elementary Aww. school. And um, my mother just taught us to love reading. We, it was so exciting to go to the library in the summer and you could get as many books as you want. And I always just remember because I'm an anxious person, I just was always filled with anxiety that I would die before I read all of the books in the world. And so I was always writing short stories and poems and songs on my guitar, really bad songs. But I, uh, but I always wanted to be a singer. Um, and so I went away to college to sing. Um, but they kept encouraging me to go in the theater because I can sing, but I can't really sing. Uh -huh. And I started doing plays and then I just, I moved out to LA to be an actress and, you know, I did some horror movies and got lucky and landed on Days of Our Lives, but I was always writing in my dressing room. And um, I just, you know, it was that damn Julia Cameron in the artist's way, you know, I couldn't ignore the voice anymore once I started doing Julia Cameron's morning pages, three point pages every morning and I'm in my dressing room and, I loved being um, a working actor. There's nothing like, of course, making a living, being an artist. That's like so rare. I was so grateful. And I did, I did not like being in front of the camera. I did not like that experience. Oh, um, really? Ah. No, I'm much too anxious to be in the public ah. eye like that. Yeah. That's interesting because I wanted to talk to you about um, something I found on your website about leaving days of our lives. And I'm gonna quote you here. And you said, I was all new agey, like I'm gonna leap and the net will find me. Well, there was no net. And what I realized is that you are the net. You build the net, that's it. And this, I was very impressed by that quote, I love it. And I think it really comes into play in the book because Initially, the book has three main female characters who are all um, being treated or had been treated horribly by the male, a male character who is a lead singer in a very popular band. And when you meet them all, um, they're all hurting for one reason or another. He has hurt them. And they're trying to figure out either how to take revenge on him or how to just get him back or how to move beyond him. And each of them are coming, coming from a different place, but all three had also been involved with his musical career, either songwriting or singing backup for him. So they all had to build their own nets and they all did it in different impressive ways. And what's even more amazing to me is that they ended up coming together. These were three rivals. So, um, 
who was your who is your favorite out of the three? Why don't you tell us briefly about the three characters and who's your favorite? Uh, well, Peter is the rock, the charismatic rock and roll star bad guy that they uh, give their talent and love to, who breaks their hearts. Um, and Danny was his first wife, and I I love Danny. She is a person who. Um, uh, she doesn't have a lot of belief in herself, and uh, but she's she's gonna try things to not hurt other people's feelings. Like she starts a, you know, journaling about Peter at the suggestion of her OA sponsor because her OA sponsor is new to sponsoring and she doesn't want to let her down. Um, and the journaling is what turns into a blog where she kills Peter every week in you know fun and interesting ways. So I love Danny because she's a literary assassin and she takes on the care of her niece Violet when her sister you know starts doing drugs again and her dad Jack has to move in with her her racist dad. And so I love Danny because she's juggling a lot of things and she's trying, but she's super low self-esteem. Like Danny could have a big life. She wrote the song that made Peter's band famous, but she couldn't. Not that prove... he'll admit it or anything. Yeah, she or couldn't not... prove it. A that year was... in court and he won and she lost all the money and everything. And he won. And, um... and she ended up getting, I thought this was a great touch. Sasha, who is the, the third and most recent, his current, Peter's current wife, felt guilty and wrote Danny a check for $10,000 intending to compensate her somewhat for the loss of the revenue that she should have received for the song. So, you know, that was one way that they became connected. Of course, Danny just still saw it as a defeat. What's $10,000 compared to ongoing royalties that you would have? Um, tell us about Red, who's the, the woman who actually had Peter twice or yeah, had there's Danny. So the, so the three women are Danny, Red and Sasha. And so Danny, I just told you about and Red was his um, first girlfriend in college who encouraged him to um, pick up a guitar, overcome his stage fright, get on stage. And so she would sing back up from him. And she sounds like Joni Mitchell. Uh, and she really helped, you know, push him forward until he left her for somebody else. Um, and, but she never wanted to be a singer. She's a uh, Planned Parenthood counselor. And uh, yeah, this book came out the same week that uh, women lost rights to own their own body. And uh, that was a real, yeah. So um, Red is a Planned Parenthood counselor, an alcoholic and a gardener, and she has a cat. And um, Peter just destroyed her and she never really got over it. She thinks she got over it. And then she sees him all grown up at a bar after he now he's famous and she feels like she's all grown up and uh, she falls right back into it again. And she calls herself the girl who falls on the knife. She likes to fall on the knife over and over. Um, and uh, and she doesn't even realize um, because she's not clued into social media or really anything that um, he's married to Sasha and that Sasha is pregnant with twins. And Sasha is his current backup singer who nobody knows writes all the songs for him now. But she also is really accomplished. She has this huge yoga vegan lifestyle brand called God S. <laughs> and uh, and Sasha is the kind of L.A. She's like your typical L.A gorgeous you know she's stunning she has you know she does all of her 
yes, she is like goop, all her self-care goddess mantra, but she means it. She really means it. And, um, and she feels badly about the fact that she, that, you know, she destroyed Peter and Danny's marriage. I mean, not that badly, but badly in the beginning. Oh, but I, I think she does. I think she's got like, you know, she has feels. Um, one of the funniest parts of the book, and there were, you know, there's a lot of humor in here, was I thought was Sasha's um, craving for meat. And of course, in this God S universe, you don't eat meat at all. Um, and you know, she was pregnant with twins, you need protein, people have cravings. The lengths that she went to to eat meat and hide the fact that she was eating meat were absolutely hilarious. But I could see somebody doing this if you represented a brand. If you represent a brand, you can't let anyone see you out of brand. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love that she dons a baseball cap and big glasses and goes <laughs> to like an Armenian meat market, like clear across town. But then she runs into Danny in the market. So, you know, eventually she, you know, eventually all the lies must rise to the surface and, um, and the women have to overcome their differences. They have to, because it goes back to building that net, right? So a net, yeah, we have to build a net for ourselves, but a net is also built with the support of many other people. We don't live alone in isolation. And these women all have the same, you know, trauma from this man, and they're all walking around with this unhealed trauma, um, you know, these big wounds that are not helping them be able to move forward. It's not that they will get over what he's, done, but they have to be able to move through it in some kind of way to create some kind of value out of it. And they also did create a family of sorts eventually. I mean, it takes more than half the book for them to A, get together and B, decide to help each other and cooperate with each other. Sasha being the last one because she's pregnant with his twins and also because she's living in the mansion. So I, the, your descriptions of the mansion that they live in, basically, Peter and Sasha throw money at a real estate agent and uh, have a house done and throw money at interior designers. And um, it's such a confection of a house and it's such a dream house. And um, Red in Subterfuge uh, gets a job as Sasha's. Um, assistant. And there's a lot about Red and the house. So Red is like you say, she's like a red dirt person. She has a garden. She digs. She's not pretentious at all. She's not a glamour puss. And here she is like floating around this insane mansion in disguise because Sasha doesn't know who she is. Um, I thought the contrast there was was a lot of fun. And, you know, red comes from money, right? She has these parents who throw money at charities right. by going on, you know, big expensive vacations where maybe they buy a few children a pair of shoes. And so she's just, she already knows that money, you know, that kind of money doesn't bring any happiness. Um, and she, she's got to get into the house to figure out how to take Peter down. Um, but also it, that kind of feeling of Sasha and her life being so shiny makes red feel even more like depressed and dirty you know um but also in she knew sasha was in in the need needed uh needed some 
like a, a red was almost like Sasha's fairy godmother. You know, she needed someone to step in and kind of take the take the the blinders away and and help her see what was going on. So, um, how did you? So you said you've written some novels that um, you self-published. How long did it take you to write this? And who did you like? Did you do you do outlines? How do you do? Or do you are you a plotter or a pantser? Seat of the pants or write out your plots. Seat of the pants. I have to hear the character's voice. I have to hear the character's voice. Um, I have to get to know them. Um, I feel like it's almost like a courtship and uh, let them reveal their story to me. I don't really know what the story is going to be. I'm just going to find a person um, and and they sort of tell me who they are. And I also have to, I always have to nail down what is the music they listen to. And once I can find the music for the book, and the funny thing is the band for this book is Wilco, and they're not even on my playlist, and they're not oh. even mentioned. It. But I listen to that boy band Wilco, uh, through, and I'm sure they're great guys. They're nothing like Peter and the Disasters, his band. But um, so once I found that kind of music, then I moved with it. And then Red has a different kind of music. Red listens to a lot of um, Janis Joplin and Joni Mitchell. And then Sasha listens to, you know, mostly new age, new world kind of music. You know, Sasha's part Armenian, uh, Iranian and Armenian and German. And so she listens to lots of different music because her mother came over here from Iran. And um, and so I, I definitely have to have like a, a, a well-filled musical feeling for the book because I think a novel has, uh, it has a rhythm, right? It has a tone. And I want to feel that when I'm reading it, I want to feel completely immersed, like if, as if you were in a piece of music. So, so as far as that's how it starts for me. And then I, I go from there. And then of course, after the first draft, you have to go back and work on the structure. So, um, I've been asking all the writers I've been speaking to this uh, kind of necessary question to COVID or not to COVID. I see COVID as the boulder in the middle of every writer's path because you have to make a decision about it before, after, or ignore it completely. How did you deal with COVID? Well, I signed the the book was already done and I signed my book deal in 2020. So I started working with the editor. So this, of course, the events in my book happened pre-COVID. So that's how I'm dealing with that. But they did. But me, too, did happen after right as right before finishing the first draft. Me, too, broke open wide. And um I, you know, I am a, a survivor of assault. Uh, one in five women in America are. And I just decided, yeah, this is what the, I'm doing it head on. I'm doing the trauma that the damage that people cause each other head on. I'm not going to, you know, uh, skirt around and, you know, I'm going to have these characters really come to face with being, you know, verbally, emotionally, or, you know, traumatized by this person. So then COVID or not to COVID. So then I had to do rewrites with the um, editor. And we didn't really talk about that, but I have another novel that I've already finished that we're getting ready to go out and query. And it, it's also a pre-COVID novel because it takes place in 1999 and it deals with Y2K and oh. survivalist cults, but ultimately, but I wrote that novel, um, the first draft in my mid thirties, just before 9-11. And it was about a group of people who join a survivalist cult called Take Back America. 
So now but, it's now it's now it's timely. That's so a little creepy. That's weird. But I think anything I write from now on, of course, will have COVID somehow in it because it was such a huge part of our lives. You know, I was really happy that I already had a novel I was working on with an editor during that time because I don't know if I would have been able to start anything else. I tried writing essays about you know, living in COVID, but then I felt like everybody was writing essays about that. Um, I know it's so, it's so strange because um, I just, I have recently read Lucy by the Sea by Elizabeth Stroud, which is my first real holy COVID novel. It's subsumed by it. And I loved it so much, but I'm not going to want to read 20 novels that are subsumed by COVID. So it's going to be very interesting to see how different writers um, handle it. So you were mentioned working with an editor. Is there anything that your editor was kind of adamant about you changing that you didn't want to change or yes. anything that you fought? What did you fight for? So I loved my editor who was, you know, at my publisher, Kimberly. I loved her. I felt like she made me a much better writer. She did not like when the women all come together. So the story is told in the voice of each woman. The chapters go, Danny read Sasha, Danny read Sasha. Well, it goes blog post, Danny read Sasha, blog post, right? Um, and then um, I, and then, you know, they come together and then it's told in all their points of view. And um, she didn't feel that it worked. And I really felt it was very important because that's the point. So I rewrote it. So I rewrote it to make it work in a way that, um, and I sent it to her. I said, let me work on this to convince you that it needs to be, you know, all together now. And um, she was like, all right, but I think it that people are going to get confused. And I said, no, I, it has to be, this is, you know, this is the hill I want to die on. All the other stuff I'm fine with changing because I like rewriting. Um, and so I did it and I sent it back to her and she said, gosh, damn it it works. And I, ooh, so I well, put them all together. But there's, you know, there's precedence for that. Um, and I'm thinking movies, the um, first wives club movie. I mean, the, uh, the witches of Eastwick, you know, there are, there are, there are, are books and movies that deal with that. And I think they're always very enjoyable because it's one thing to struggle on alone, but it's another thing to, you know, to, go into battle with your comrades, but surrounded by your comrades. And the transition that your characters made towards accepting each other's help was not an easy one. It wasn't like right. suddenly one day they woke up and said, oh, the three of us are all going to hang out together and hate Peter. You know, it, it was definitely a journey and a process. Right. Yeah, they didn't they didn't like each other. And the but until they had to find out what was common, even though they're so different, what they had in common was this uh, feeling inside of themselves of not loving themselves. And that's why his male gaze worked on them. Right. But I really also really a lot of people aren't comfortable with it. But I did explore to a great, you know, the male gaze that we have internalized as women in our culture. Um, I think and how also... we don't even need them to do it. We just do it ourselves. <laughs> And I think we re you really caught the ag the gorgeous agony of the first six weeks of a relationship when everything you're so in love everything is working perfectly you can't envision anything getting any better or any worse I thought you did a wonderful job with that with with all three women 
Um, and even Peter, who was admitted that he loved the beginning, but he wasn't good for, you know, he was good for um, for when you mount up, but he wasn't good for the, the long ride around the park. No, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> he definitely uh, was, you know, a classic narcissist, really, really great at the first six weeks. And, and I think that his, he's compelled because that's his high is the first six weeks, you know, that sex and love addict thing, that's his high. Um, and so the women feel finally seen and loved and whole for the first time because he knows how to do that, right? What's the song by Sade? He's a smooth operator. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Or smooth operator and, and also smooth criminal, which he, you know, which he was to them. Um, I'm interested. I just thought of that when you mentioned Me Too. So I'm thinking of the Me Too miscreants. I don't remember any performing rock musician getting caught up in that off the top of my head can you um well a huge music producer did uh yeah. russell simmons and then of course we have um what's his face who finally is going to go to jail oh, or kelly yeah but but um, i don't yeah i but, guess in a way that was a me too situation but i'm thinking of all that rock stars get away with right. that male rock stars get got away with Post-AIDS, I don't know if they indulged like they did pre-AIDS, but I'm thinking that most of the Me Too people are business people, you know, they're media personalities, but not musicians. And I'm, other than you write about R. Kelly and Russell Simmons, but I'm I'm wondering, I'm just, I just, it was just a I'm, quick thought. Is it because rock stars can always get it? I don't know. <laughs> I think they're impervious or something. I think maybe people like, take someone like Matt Lauer, like, you know, I think, yes, people liked him, but he didn't have this mystique. He didn't produce anything that you could go to sleep listening to and dreaming. Maybe they're just too big to bring down and, and they affect us. It could be, but I think so. I think so that it's just too, and it's very, I mean, you know, if the CDC says one in five women are, um, you know, assaulted in their lifetime that's just the women who tell mm. so i would think that power is the power of a of a huge rock star would be terrifying well i think you did catch his power and even a little bit of his own kind of awe at what he could do to an audience and i think you also caught what you feel like when you're at a concert, when you're in love with the performer, where when you're with a cult that is just adoring that performer in that band along with you, it's a definite high. And I was a screaming teenage girl at concerts. I totally so was I. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I definitely dated a string of musicians in my youth, um, not this musician that I created. Um, but I have certainly known um, of musicians with this ego and um, the narcissism and, yeah, buying your own press. There's a lot of really great rock and roll stars out there, too. Um, but I definitely wanted to create just because you are there's something that music does to a person. Right. It it met, does mesmerize you. And, and so that person on the stage has so much power over you. I and then you think when, they're the same person off stage. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm thinking of the Springsteen video, Dancing in the Dark, when he reaches oh. out to Courtney Cox, who just happens to 
<laughs> to be in the audience, that always blew me away that, you know, she, they put her there and that she became a great star afterwards. But he was just like, he was just a musician reaching out to a girl to bring her up on stage to dance with him. I think when that video came out, I was like, okay, so I used to go to a lot of Springsteen concerts. How come I always sat in my seat? Why didn't I go up to the stage and hold my arm out? Why didn't he grab my hand? I, think I could that, have been on Friends. Well, I think there's there's a world um, that our music created, and I think you captured it very well in the book. And since we have to wrap up, I'm gonna I'm gonna show it again. All the girls in town. I love the cover, by the way. I, which I really. Also, and yeah. it comes from the Carpenter's song, Close to You, which, you know, I had to rack my brain for a little while. But this was a very enjoyable novel. And I think um, anyone who likes music and any feminist would be very, very happy to to read it and to and I'm really thrilled that I can share it. And men who love, like I had one review and he said, um, for a man who's always wanted to be inside the mind of a woman, I deeply appreciate this. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's not just for ladies. Not just for women anymore. All right. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you so much, Eileen. Great time with you today. Enjoy your she shed. I will. (laughs) Please get in touch with me once your next uh, novel is ready to be talked about. I would love that. Have a great day. Bye-bye. That is why.